The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. So this year we chose verses from 1 Thessalonians to characterize our year. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. So we're to be joyful, we're to be prayerful, we're to be thankful. And I think on Father's Day, we should especially be able to do those things. Again, some of us have been wounded by fathers, some of us were neglected by fathers, but we all have a perfect heavenly father. And for that reason, we celebrate. So today we're going to talk about caring for the fatherless. And this is a picture of my family. Now, this is uh, an old picture, as you can tell. And uh, my mom is up there on the right-hand corner. That's my mom. Yep, she's still with us, praise God. But this was a family reunion of, uh, in, in Pittsburgh area. And my dad is right next to her up there on the upper right. That's dad. And uh, my grandfather is down there on the second row. You see him? He didn't like his picture taken. He had a crooked smile, so he never liked to have his picture taken. And he is only five foot tall. Now his wife is seated next to him, and she was like 5'10". So almost all the pictures that we have of them are seated pictures, yes. Um, and I never knew my grandfather, John. Um, I wish I did, and I look forward to seeing him in glory. My sister is on the first row with the children. She is the second one in from the left. That's my sister, Connie. And uh, up standing next to dad and mom is my Uncle Bob and my Aunt Laura. And then next to my grandparents there is my Aunt Genevieve and my Uncle Harry. Harry's dad's brother, and Laura is dad's sister. Uh, my cousin Carol, who went home to be with Jesus just a sh not too long ago, is seated on the first row of the children on the left-hand side. And when she posted this picture on Facebook, I said, huh, on that day, I was only a gleam in my father's eye. And she said, honey, you weren't even a gleam yet. That's how young you are compared to the rest of us. That's my family. Happy Father's Day. Amen. Today we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah. As we do, it's very interesting, isn't it, how every linguistic, every language makes it easy for children to say mama and papa. This is true all across all languages because we're so eager to hear those words. It generally involves the A sound, ah, and either a B or an M or a P, and, and every culture has this. Do you remember dads coaching your kids? I do. Da, 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 you know? And it's such a thrill when, when they acknowledge you as daddy or as mama. And uh, what a blessing it is to know that we have a heavenly father who in Aramaic chooses to be called Abba, Abba Father. Now, I want to tell you a little story about these birds, the Caspian tern. Um, they did some research on these birds, and what they discovered is very, very interesting. Um, 
Using GPS, the team followed their annual migration from the Baltic Sea to the African tropics. One researcher explained the purpose of the project, quote, we wanted to get a better idea of how the migratory skills of birds are passed from one generation to another in a species where individuals normally migrate together. It has long been known that birds migrate communally as witnessed by the annual migrations of large flocks of geese during North America's spring and fall seasons. However, little is known about the interactions among the members of traveling flocks. Having studied the Caspian terns migration behavior, the research team found that father terns, get this, teach their young about the secrets of migration while defending them from danger they encounter along the way. One researcher said, this is very fascinating behavior, which we really did not expect to find when setting up our study. The scientists even observed a case of a foster father bird filling in for the father's role. Young birds always stayed close to the adult bird. Indeed, young strays died. The authors of the study suggested that young birds must remain in contact with a parent during a first foray to winter grounds. The team also found that when the young birds make their first solo return flight to breeding grounds in Europe, they took the same migratory routes on which they were accompanied by their fathers. In one generation to another, the Caspian terms share the knowledge of the journey. This was has consequences on the decisions individuals make years after they first migrated with their father. What's true of the Caspian turn is true of us as human beings. Fathers, mothers, adults, we have a big responsibility to help the children that are coming behind us. And as we said, we have a perfect heavenly father, but today we want to talk about caring for the fatherless. Caring for the fatherless. And I've chosen to come from Isaiah chapter 1. This is kind of an odd text for a Father's Day sermon, but bear with me, I didn't go crazy in Honolulu, okay? This does make sense as we journey along. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 1.1, and chapter 1 is kind of an overview of the whole book. There are 65 chapters that follow, but it's kind of an overview of the whole book. And in the very first verse, he says, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So the northern kingdom of Israel, the tent tribes, had already gone into captivity under the Assyrians. Isaiah in the 7th century BC <clears throat> is addressing the two southern uh, tribes in the south that aren't under uh, the defeat of enemies, but are going to be attacked. And that's kind of the message as well. So as we make our way, let's follow the scenes in the courtroom of God. It really is a courtroom scene in chapter one. 
And we're just looking at the first 20 verses, although I recommend that you read the whole chapter when you get home today. We begin with the indictment against the nation. We move to the evidence against the nation. We look at the restitution by the nation or the attempted restitution. And finally, we come to the climactic part of the chapter, the invitation to the nation. And, and it really is a quite a wonderful journey. And so we begin with the indictment, and it sadly begins with rebellion. Hear me. Hear, Shema. It is a key Hebrew word. It appears again and again over a thousand times. It's the earnest plea of the Lord. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth. It, he's calling the heavens and the earth in as witnesses in the courtroom. They were there long before the nation existed, long before God had chosen Abraham, long before Israel had ever been conceived or seen, but they're there to witness in the courtroom. For the Lord has spoken. Now here's the rebellion. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Now the rearing of the children also suggests in the original the exalting of this nation. God exalted Israel. He exalted Judah, the southern uh, two tribes, and, and he, he lifted them up above others. Yet they rebel, they transgress, they break the relationship with the Lord. And it's disgusting, it's, it's frightening. They show disrespect to a father who has given them everything, freely. And sadly, this rebellion will bring judgment. They're confused. The ox knows its master. The donkey, its owner's manger, knows where to get food. I mean, if that's true of an ox and a donkey, but they obey, but Israel does not. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. They don't have the comprehension. It's frightening, isn't it? To see a nation that was so designated by God to be so rebellious, to be so disrespectful, to be so apathetic about the Lord who had poured everything out for them. And they are still called my people. He's still calling them my people. He has not stopped that. But they're rebellious and they're confused. And finally, they're corrupt. Whoa, that's the word of lament. That's the father's heart just lamenting over what is happening and what is going to happen. Woe to the sinful nature, nation. A people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. That means what they are characterized in their lives is corruption. This is just what they do day in, day out, day after day. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned 
the Holy One of Israel. Now, Holy One is a great title for Isaiah because in Isaiah 6, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what did he hear the angels saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So because he had that experience, he uses the title Holy One again and again and again and again. And so he's especially saying in, in this terrible indictment that they have forsaken the Lord, they've spurned the Holy One, they're just apathetic about him, and they've turned their backs on him. It's a very frightening passage of scripture, it really is. Their, their children have become strangers, aliens. They will not face Papa. They turn away from him. It's shocking. The contrast between the father's perspective and their perspective is so very shocking. And when any child of God does this, what's God going to do? He's going to bring discipline because he loves them. So, for instance, in Hebrews, we read, they, that's our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. Now, I have to admit that my definition of good and God's definition of good aren't always the same, right? But he does this in order that we may share in his holiness. That's the real goal, that we become more holy because he knows we'll be more satisfied, we'll be more content, we'll be more joyous, we'll be more prayerful, we'll be more thankful, all those things as we become more holy, as he does this miracle transforming work in our lives. And when we resist it, he's going to bring discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. <laughs> amen, amen, and amen. How many times, Dad, did you have to discipline your children and it hurt you? It was painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So what's true in the New Testament is true in Isaiah. God is trying to draw his people back. He has permitted these atrocities to take place that they would come back to him. And God will preserve a remnant. He does that. What's true then is true today. How do we get through discipline? By leaning into God. That's who gives us endurance. That's who gives us faith. How do we endure in a corrupt society? By leaning into God. That's what you do. So the indictment is, is very significant. The evidence also is, is there. Why should you be beaten anymore? Whew. You know, he's asking these rhetorical questions because, again, he's lamenting. This is the Lord. This is the covenantal God. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Have you ever felt that way with your children? My children were perfect, so I don't have that problem. But <laughs> Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. Physical Emotional, heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot 
to the top of your head, there is no soundness. Only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. There isn't any medicine being applied. It's all just injury. So an enemy invasion is coming. Your country is desolate. Desolate is a strong word. It, it, it's a very strong word. And the language suggests that the invasion would come, had already come, and would continue. In fact, when Sennacherib, the Babylonian king, attacked Jerusalem in 701 BC, he said, Hezekiah, their king, is trapped like a bird in a cage. Now, God did deliver them. You might remember that in Isaiah during the reign of Hezekiah. But ultimately, they fell because they continued to persist in this rebellion. And, and the desolation is graphically described. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as overthrown by strangers. It's a very graphic and difficult picture. And they will lie desolate. It, it continues in verse 8. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field. It's just, there's no defense. They're just out there exposed, and there's no defense. And it's a graphic picture. It's a sad picture, like a city under siege, unless the Lord Almighty shows up and had left us some survivors, there would be a remnant because there would be a savior. He would come from the people of Israel. There would be a savior. There would be a remnant. The stump of Jesse, remember that? That's in chapter 11. We would have become like Sodom, we would have been like Gomorrah, just totally destroyed. It is a very, very graphic picture. Being called Sodom and Gomorrah is a high insult. It's frightening to see how deep-seated the rebellion really was and how it persisted from one generation to another. And yet God is merciful, and he's merciful to us as individuals, right? He is. He's still a loving God. He's lovingly calling us back. He, he, he's wanting to forgive when David sat down after his rebellious ways with Bathsheba and Uriah and all of that, he sat down and wrote Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. That's what's required, honesty. Stop deceiving yourself. Stop lying. Be honest in your spirit. And then he goes on to describe, he tried the silent treatment and it didn't work. <laughs> when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. <laughs> For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was zapped as in the heat of summer. He just was losing strength. He was having physical effects, ill effects because of his lack of confession of his sin. Verse five, then 
Great transition. I acknowledge, I confessed my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. The iniquity means not only the sin, but the punishment I deserve and the guilt I feel. All of that, I confessed to the Lord. I didn't cover it up. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And immediately you forgave the guilt of my sin. Hallelujah. That is the miracle of the new birth, isn't it? That is the miracle of a believer confessing their sins and coming back to God. That's why Psalm 32, Luther said, sounds like Paul. (coughs) Sounds like New Testament gospel. That's what it is. And what was true for David was true for the nation. But the evidence stood against them and the indictment was real. So now they try to make restitution. And, and again, he addresses them as though they were Sodom and Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, the Torah, the instruction of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom, and listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah, which is a big insult to call them the kings and rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he goes on to describe the religion that they try to practice, which God rejects. Earlier, Samuel said to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. Remember that? That's earlier in their history. So when we read this, it's kind of alarming, but how many times people try to make things right by getting more religious, by doing more things, by trying to earn their own way? The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling in my courts? Isn't that graphic? You're just trampling in my courts. Even though you're making these sacrifices and everything, your heart isn't in it. Your heart's far from me. That was already earlier said. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. And they plan many, many special celebrations. And, he, and they talk about this. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I can't bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon, feast, new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, even prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. That's the problem. There's injustice, there's murder, there's deceit happening all over the nation, and that is disgusting to our God. To obey is better than sacrifice. So, what is required is repentance. Look at the verbs in this. The first three are very negative. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Stop doing it. Learn to do right, five positive. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. You really want to see how your society is doing? Look at the least. Look at the widows. Look at the fatherless. What's happening to them? Are you abusing them? 
Are you taking advantage of them? Do you even plead their cause? Are you seeking to bring justice for them? See, this is what God's saying here. And that's why repentance is required. Repentance has always been required. That's what God wants. Turn away from sin, turn back to God. That's what the prophet was saying to the nation. Jesus, similarly, when he began his ministry career publicly, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your sin, turn back to me, and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. So what's true in the Old Testament is true in the New too. If we are really people who have met the Lord Jesus Christ, we are people who are concerned about justice. We're concerned about the pleas of the fatherless, the oppressed, the widows, all of that is a concern to us. And we want to do what we can to make it right. I had a call recently from a young woman I know, and she was desperate. She has wandered from God for some time. And I said, do you remember when you used to smile all the time? I remember the day you got baptized. Do you remember that day? Yes. I know there's a lot of sorrow. I know there's been a lot of heartache. I know there's been things that were unfair probably done to you. But if you lose something, what do you do? You go back to the place where you knew you had it to look for it, right? If I lose my keys, I mean, my glasses are long gone in the Pacific Ocean. I know that, right? But there's no sense in even looking. What's really funny is we were uh, with some friends and they lost their glasses too. Anyway, um, go back to what you were doing in those days, but I find it hard to pray. Well, pray anyway. Open your Bible, read it, sing praise to God. There's hope. There's mercy. And so the restitution is not going to work by religion, but it will happen in relationship. So here we go. Here is the great verse. This is why we love Isaiah chapter 1, right? Come now. What a great word. What a great verb. Come, come, come now. Come now, nation. Let us settle the matter. Let us reason together, the King James says. a great word. I wish I had more time to tell you more about it. It's a courtroom word. It's a covenant word. It's let's restore the relationship. Let's, let's get a do-over. Let's play a mulligan. Let's have a new beginning. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Hallelujah. God gives us new beginnings. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Washed white as snow. We just sang about the blood and his love. And what's true, foretold here in the Old Testament, was fulfilled by our Lord Jesus Christ. How white is snow? Oh, it's white. Pure white. As long as it doesn't fall through polluted air. 
you have responsibility. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Judgment will come for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You're in the courtroom. You must make a decision. You can't linger between decision. Come now, let us reason together. It's a loving term, but it's, it's, it's filled with a lot of imagery. It really is. And, and so as I'm reading this and I'm seeing that word come, it's just jumping off the page at me. And, and the verb to come appears 442 times in the New Testament. It's like a key word. And I, and I looked up a few verses just to be reminded. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it to the full. See, that's why he came. Come near to God and he will come near to you, James 4, 8. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore he, that is Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for him. He's still praying for us. Even as believers, he's praying for us. He's interceding for us. Was his death on the cross sufficient for all our sins? And the class said, yes, that's true. Past, present, and future. Yahweh is the same as you were, as you are, as you will be. You can't improve upon perfection. So he remains the same. And he's still a loving, merciful father. And that's why the greatest word of the gospel is come. It's not get your act together and then you can come. Pay this off and then you can come. Make this many sacrifices and then you can come. But how many people are deceived into thinking that's what they need to do? You come just as you are. Like Charlotte Elliott said. And Billy Graham was saved the singing of this hymn. That's why he used it his whole career as an evangelist. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within and without, O oh, Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee to find. O oh, Lamb of God, I come, just as I am, thou wilt receive. Well, welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe, O oh, Lamb of God, I come. And so James says religion that is worth it <laughs> and that God accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 50% of the boys in America do not have a father in the home. That means the girls don't either. But this ministry of fathers in the field that we're going to go to a luncheon, we're going to be introduced to how we can minister to fatherless boys is a need. We, we already have a list of boys who want mentors. That's a growing list right here in Aurora, right here in Centennial, right here in our backyard. Men and women, this is a worthy mission. 
God will honor it. We've shown you some pretty moving videos of the testimony of others. Don't you want to be in one of those videos? <laughs> Don't you be one, be one of the fathers that made an impact in the life of a child that helped them so? This is why my dad was a baseball coach. He wanted to reach boys. And he used baseball as a means to do that. A man who a couple of years ago went to heaven was like a brother to me. My dad met Bill on a little league field. His father had abandoned him. And Bill always called dad, dad. And I didn't care. <laughs> That's okay with me. And when Bill was dying, he called me. I didn't even know he was sick. He called me and he, he was dying. He was less than a month from his death. And I'm crying and he's crying. I said, Bill, what have you been doing? He was a very successful businessman. I said, what have you been doing? He said, I've been coaching high school baseball. Why? Because I'm looking for another Bill. <laughs> I'm looking for another boy like me who needs the influence of a godly man. That's what Fathers in the Field's about. So, Let's dedicate ourselves to that. And if today you're just saying, man, maybe I've been the wanderer, there's always hope. There's always a new beginning. Just come. Let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be made as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be as white as wool. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us to a moving text today. Lord, we pray that we will be responsible in this. Ancient Israel was not, but we pray that for our little community right here, we will be responsible to care for the fatherless boys in this ministry of fathers in the field. Thank you, Lord, for guiding us. Thank you for Mike and his dear wife and family who are missionaries with this group. Thank you for those who've already stepped up to be a part of this. We dedicate it all to you, and we pray that ministry of fathers in the field among us here at Fellowship will bear fruit that will last. Rejoicing that begins here that will continue forever in heaven. Amen and amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.